just before we consider those words that we read in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and from verse 18, before we uh, turn there, let us uh, bow to God and ask for help. Lord, we do pray, uh, as the psalmist, I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn towards us and have mercy on us, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct our footsteps according to your word. Lord God, we uh, pray in such desperate need as the people who are called out, as we have thought about, called out from the nations, called to pursue holiness, that your name may be glorified. And so we desperately need your instruction, your direction. We need to hear the voice of God. And so we ask that you would uh, still us before you and that you would address us and instruct us that you would be the one who proclaims the goodness of your son this morning. And we pray for great miracles. We pray, Lord God, that there might be some who are perhaps watching on the the live stream, but some perhaps even in the room just now, who at this moment are strangers, strangers to Christ, but that over the course of uh, our time together this morning, and such might be your grace to them, that you might bring them to yourself, that you might show them Jesus Christ. And we pray this for the glory of your name, Amen. Okay, this morning I want us uh, to look together uh, to what is, of course, a a very, very famous portion uh, of uh, God's Word. It is a passage of Scripture that I'm sure many of you uh, have been familiar with uh, since your earliest days. Uh, What is this portion of Scripture? It is, of course, the account of the creation of women. And then what is surely the uh, very first marriage or wedding ceremony. So I want us to look there. But how are we going to handle this this morning? How are we going to approach this portion of Scripture? After all, I mean, Genesis chapter 2 has so much to teach us and to instruct us about contemporary moral and ethical issues, doesn't it? So much here to learn about the roles of men and women in the world and in the church. So much here in Genesis 2 about the nature of marriage. How are we going to approach this? How are we going to handle this this morning? Well, to answer that, I want you actually just now to think about how the New Testament, how it views these words that we have in our hands. I want you to think about how so often a line seems to be drawn from Genesis chapter 2 and drawn all the way to to Christ and his church. Think about that for a moment. Just think about the apostle John. I think we all know John's gospel reasonably well, don't we? We know John's gospel well. Is it not in some ways fair to class that as a new Genesis? Can you see why we might do that? A new Genesis, John's gospel. How does John's gospel start? In the beginning. What does John then go on to do but speak about light 
shining into the darkness. What does John do in chapter 3? Does he not parallel these verses you have in your hands when he speaks of Jesus, the last Adam? How does John speak about him in chapter 3? He's the bridegroom. Do you see? It's John's gospel, the apostle John. But then, wait a minute, wait, wait, we, can, we, we can build on that, can't we? What about the apostle Paul? You remember it in, in that very, very famous portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. We all know it, don't we? Where Paul is comparing marriage to Christ's love for his church. Now, wait a second. Where does Paul root his thought in Ephesians 5? Is it not here? Is it not Genesis 2? He looks back to Genesis 2, and then he actually quotes verse 24 that you have in front of you. So in Ephesians 5, Paul quotes this. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And then in Ephesians, Paul says this. I want you to wrestle with it. In Ephesians, Paul looks to verse 24 in front of us in Genesis 2, and he says, And this mystery of verse 24, this is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. Isn't that something? So Paul is stating that when the author of Genesis wrote these words in chapter 2, that ultimately these verses had Christ in view and his church. And so, friends, this morning, I think now we have our answer how are we going to approach Genesis chapter 2? Well, yes, we'll seek to expound it and explain it. Yes, we'll seek to apply it to the life of the church. Of course we will. But in addition to that, this morning, I want us to see how Genesis 2 foreshadows Jesus. How Genesis chapter 2 even foreshadows Jesus' redemptive work. Isn't that something? And how Genesis 2 foreshadows the love that Christ has right now right now. We see in Adam and his bride the love that Christ has for you, for his church, for the bride of the last Adam. So if we have it in front of us, if, if we're able, let's have Genesis 2 open there and to get straight into the text of Holy Scripture. The first thing that I want us to consider or really to note is a joyous presentation that we see in Genesis 2, a joyous presentation. I think um, it's probably fair to say that as we begin this this morning, what we encounter is rather a surprising phrase. Maybe you can see what I mean straight away, can you? Like if we had read Genesis 1, like if we had read the previous chapter, I think every one of us would have a certain repetition ringing in our ears, wouldn't we? If we had read through Genesis 1, what would we have ringing in our ears? God creates uh, light and he saw that it was good. Uh, God creates the trees and he saw that it was good. Uh, God creates whatever, the birds of the air and he, he saw that it was good. And then you move into this section, and what do you find in, in verse 18? Do, do, you, do you see it there? Do you notice? The Lord said, it is not good. First time we see it in Scripture, it is not good that man should be alone. That though man right here in Genesis 2 
is in his innocence. I mean, we can all see it's before Genesis 3. This is pre-fall. Though that's true, since man is made in the image of a triune God, we are seeing that man is made fundamentally for connections. Man is made for relationship. Man is made for communion. Do you see it? It's not good for man to be alone. Now, yes, God's going to address that. He's going to meet that need in a moment. And yes, you know, he's going to create women. And yes, we're going to look at that. And we'll get to that in a second. But actually, I want you just to think about this presentation that we've got here just now. See, um, no matter where we're from, no matter where in the world we were born, I reckon it's true that all of us in here, surely it's true that all of us are aware of that tradition that we have in the West in weddings, where the father tends to give away the bride. Okay, it doesn't matter where you're from in the world, you've, at least you know that, that tradition, don't you? We all know it. So when Catherine and I got married, uh, I didn't like, WhatsApp her in the morning and say, um, you go to the altar, I'll, you go to the front of the church and I'll see you there. Nor did we arrive at the church together in an Uber. Uh, what have, is a beautiful moment in a wedding ceremony. Isn't it a lovely moment where you have the, the groom waiting, <laughs> waiting at the, the front of the church and and the congregation stand, right? And the music starts and, and the, the bride walks up the center aisle, usually, not always, of course, but usually accompanied by her father, right? And the father does what? The, the father there, he is presenting her in a sense, isn't he? Isn't that a beautiful moment? And he, he's giving away the, 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 the bride. It's like, now, well, yeah, you can see it. You can see surely where we get that tradition from. Can't you? Like in a sense, what's happening in Genesis 2, but Eve is being walked down the aisle and she is being given away by God, her father. Did you notice the language in verse 22? So we are told that God brought her to Adam. Do you see it? The ceremonial, God brought the bride to the groom in this instance. So yeah, that's true. But I really want you to, to, to double down and focus in on the joy, the joy, the sheer delight that that moment must have brought. See, we, we're all familiar with this portion of scripture. Of course we are. Look, how many times have you read Genesis 2? Thousands of times, maybe. How many times have you heard it preached on? I don't, I, who knows? A lot of times. I wonder, have you ever really thought about and even noticed the delay that we've got in Genesis 2. Have you noticed the element of suspense and delay? If not, just think about the sequence and the order of events. So how does it start? It's not good for man to be alone. What's the next thing that happens? God then says, I will fix that. I will make a helper fit for man. And then my question would be to you, does God do that immediately? Do you notice that he does not do that immediately? There is this strange element of delay. There is a strange suspense as God has all of the animals. At that point, all of the animals come to Adam, you know, one, but, you know, this procession of, why? Yes, to have them named, but did you notice what else it was? 
to see if there was, would be a helper fit for him. Do you see what God is doing? It's an amazing thing. God there surely is intensifying Adam's sense of longing, his sense of need as he sees each animal walk past and every time it's the same no this is no use this is not a suitable help he sees in each animal he says no this doesn't fit the bill and then do you not feel the relief in the text in fact do you not feel the joy when 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 god finally does create women and God brings woman to man. Do you see it? What does Adam cry out in verse 23? All of these animals pass by. He gets to verse 23 and Adam cries out, At last! Here she is! At last! Bone of my bone! Flesh of my flesh! So overjoyed as Adam that he finally has a companion that is truly and properly suitable for him. What does he do? He bursts into song. It is truly a joyous moment, a joyous presentation. How do we, how do we apply it, though, for the life of St. Peter's Free Church? Well, it must be the case that surely this morning there's something of a challenge in here, not just to the men, but to the Christian husbands at St. Peter's. Guys, you know exactly what we're like. You know, we tend to slip into so many bad habits in, in marriage. We very, very often can slip into taking our spouse for granted. And what is this? What is this but a reminder from God to you of his goodness to you? As a Christian husband, a reminder of what God has done for you. God has brought you a suitable companion. God has brought you a, a gift. And let me say to you, Christian husband, your wife should be treated in that light, treated as something so incredibly precious, treated as a gift from God, treated as something absolutely priceless. There is a challenge for the Christian men, the Christian husbands in here. But hang on a second. In view of what we said at the start, do you and I not need to at least here consider the Lord Jesus Christ and the last Adam at this point? See, I, I think that probably the vast majority of the people in this room and maybe those listening online, I think we're all probably aware of what I'll call the ceremonial brackets that sit around God's Word. You know what I'm talking about. I really do hope you do. Do you see it? The ceremonial bookends in Scripture, that just as here, Scripture begins with this marriage presentation. How does the Bible end? The Bible ends with the same the Bible ends with this marriage presentation as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in the last presented to her spouse. What does Revelation? Let me read the Revelation 19. Let us be glad. Let us rejoice and give glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Or I'll give you Revelation 21, though you know it. 
Then I, John, saw the church, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as what, friends? Prepared at that last moment as a bride, and a bride adorned for her husband. Now, we may know that, these ceremonial bookends, but you and I need to fully embrace the joy. If we've seen joy at the beginning of the Bible, the joy of that last moment, you can see why it's joyous. You can see why there might even be divine delight in the last presentation. As the Lord Jesus Christ on that last day, he sees what? Who does he see? His church? How does Jesus describe his people in John 17? Those the Father has given to him. And the Lord Jesus Christ looks at his bride and sees her made sinless in the last by the work of God. And what does Christ see in his bride? He sees at last, he sees a companion, Christ-like. He sees a companion, a bride, a spouse like him. Christ in the last day looks at his bride, his church, and he sees one suitable for him. And Christ Jesus rejoices. Friends, to live for the glory of God in a city like Dundee with the pressures of this world, we have to keep that coming marriage presentation in view. So we've seen a, a joyous presentation. Second here, we see an intimate bond, an intimate bond. So we recognize, do we, there is this desire for and then the presentation of this spouse. But what I want us to think about now is actually, if you've got Adam and Eve and they're brought together in this union, I want us to think about the nature of their relationship, this new marriage, this intimate relationship, what is it like? So we need to look at verse 24 and Fraser, this is your big moment. There you go, knocked it out of the park. I love it. Uh, so we have verse 24. Now let's think about what we have here, this new relationship. Let's read it together, can we, please? Therefore, so they've been brought together, there is this presentation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Hold fast. Isn't that lovely? Hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to her. And they shall become one flesh. We got it? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. They hold fast to his wife and they shall become flesh. Two things there. Two things. First, I think we need to linger on what that tells us about the deep bond of our earthly marriages. The deep bond, the deep intimacy of uh, our earthly marriages. Hopefully you can see what I mean. Though the world today is going to do everything in its power to convince us that marriage is nothing. The world is going to do everything to convince us that the marriage needs to be demeaned, that marriage is superficial, that though the world will even try to convince us that marriage can be in some senses redefined we as Christians need to hold on to the fact that marriage truly is the closest possible human relationship. 
It is the closest possible human relationship to be cherished in the Christian church. So though it's, do you know what? Though it's sometimes really difficult to do it, sometimes. We really have to try to move away emotionally from our parents in order to pursue the depths of this new relationship. That because, of course we noticed it, because woman is made from man's rib, it is only when that woman comes to man that man, in a sense, is, is made whole. Do you see how important marriage is? Marriage is something that you and I really have to truly value in the life of St. Peter's. You and I, whether we are married or not, and regardless of our age, marriage is something that we should be praying about. We should be praying regularly, daily, for the married couples in our church. So we see something there of the deep bond of our earthly marriages, but wait a moment. Do we not see something there of the deep bond that exists between Christ, the last Adam, and his church? You can, you can take that down if you want, Fraser. You see, I am not trying to be flippant or funny. I'm not trying in any way to be smart about this at all. But isn't it the case that in the creation of the world, that our God in some senses had a blank sheet of paper in front of him? Didn't he? Not trying to be flippant at all. But you can see who's God, but he is God. Like God is not bound by any external force or any pressure. He doesn't have to yield to anything. God can do as he wills, as he wishes. And what does God do? Right at the start of things, God founds human society on this. I mean, this intimate, mysterious union between one man and one woman. Like, why does God do that? There are loads of answers, but is it not at least partly to have portrayed something of the deep relationship that will exist between Jesus Christ, the last Adam, and his bride? Is that not part of the reasoning here? And yes, I think, sincerely I do, I think that we are being, in a sense, from Genesis 2 being pointed forward. Are we not? Are we not in, in Genesis 2 seeing something of what we will be in glory, what our lives will be like in glory? Because you just need to look at verse 25. Let me just read it to you. Now, think of it, that the man and his wife were both naked, and the next bit, they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. Does that not foreshadow something of our future? That in the new heavens, in the new earth, such as God's work in our hearts by his grace, what's going to happen? You and I are going to be able to walk with our spouse. We're going to be able to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, but we'll be able to do it absent of any shame of our sin, without any shame for our rebellion and our wickedness. It points us forward, yeah. But you need to remember this morning, if you're a Christian, that you are today already part of the bride of Christ. And so I have to ask, are you struggling? You know, as you, you come into church today, it's that thing of click on, must 
play pretend. And you come in here and lacking assurance that God loves you. Struggling with all the devotions with Christ. Feeling distant to Christ. Feeling cold. Is that you? You have to look to Genesis chapter 2 and see from there, be propelled to embrace something of the relationship that Christ Jesus has with you this morning, today. The justice it was with the first, so see the last Adam. He is presently bound to you, his bride, presently bound. That you and I, we really do right now enjoy what theologians call union with Christ. What does that mean for us? That means today, if you're a Christian, you are not just near Christ. You're not just walking with Christ right now. Whether you feel like this or not, you really are in Christ. It is that intimate. You are in Christ. What does Paul say? Is there not a faint echo of this language from Genesis 2? What does he say about us? We are not one flesh, but he says we are actually one body with Christ. Christ as our head. But perhaps it's even worse and even darker for you this morning. Perhaps you're really worried about the future. And perhaps you're worried about your death. Then you have to listen to me. Unlike our earthly marriages, not even that event, not even that enemy, not even our death can sever the intimate union you have with the last Adam. What does our the shorter catechism say about death and death, the souls of believers listen intently to this. The souls of believers do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ. They do remain in their graves till the resurrection. Not even death, not even death death could destroy this bond we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, why has God created marriage? So many reasons, family, society, so many reasons. Is this not one? That God creates Adam and Eve, this intimate, mysterious, covenantal union to point you even this morning to this intimate, precious, mysterious, covenantal union that exists between Christ Jesus and his church, Christ Jesus and his bride. Do not fear. Do not fret. If you are in him, if you are in Christ, he will forever and ever and ever and ever hold fast. He will hold fast to his spouse. And then the last thing. So we've seen a a joyous presentation and we've seen an intimate bond And then the last thing is a creative act, a creative act. (coughs) What an amazing status we've seen that the church has even now as the bride of Christ, one body of Christ. As we close, I think to consider that question that we must have at the back of our minds, especially if you're you're perhaps visiting uh, St. Peter's this morning, there's a question surely we all have. The Christians have, perhaps, as well, too, to consider how is that possible? How is it possible that people like me, that you and me, like sinners, 
wicked, rebellious people. How is it possible for us to have that sort of union with the very holy Son of God? How is that possible? To consider that, I just want to jump back very briefly to how woman was created. To think and notice the manner in which God goes about creating uh, the woman. So again, Fraser, if you wouldn't mind putting up verse 21, if you've got a copy of scripture, you can look at it. I'll just leave it there for a second. You read it. Notice the two stages. You see the two stages? There is first this divinely ordered sleep. What does it not say? It doesn't say whilst Adam slept, does it? Do you notice the divine hand in the sleep? God caused this. And it's not just sleep. So it's specified that this is an unusual, a deep sleep. We have this. And then we all know that the second stage, of course, we do what happens, that God wounds Adam, doesn't he? So to form Eve, God takes the substance, this rib, out of man, this rib. Now, that word is an important word and a very interesting word, the word rib. So it's a word that is translated and used elsewhere in the Old Testament a few times, and it's translated side. So it's Adam's side as you read it there. So you've got Noah's Ark. So you know, young people know all about Noah's Ark. So it's used there of the side, the rib, the side of Noah's Ark. It's also used of the tabernacle, the side of the, the, the tabernacle. So you've got these two stages, everyone. This deep God-ordered sleep and then this wounding of the side. You can take it down. What should we be thinking about? Well, yes, I, I do think, although maybe I'm on dodgy ground perhaps, but I do think perhaps momentarily we, we do need to think about the present dignity of women and what that verse tells us about that. You would agree with me that that is an ever increasingly controversial subject in our country, the dignity of women, the increase of different ideas, the rise of other uh, religions. It's controversial to talk about the dignity of women in, in certain places. I, I, I wonder if you realize that in the book of Genesis, the parts of the body are symbolic and significant. I think if you think about Genesis 3.15, immediately you can get it, can you? You know, there is a bruising of the heel, isn't there? Of the cer- there is then the bruising, same word bruising, of the head, which is far more serious because the head, of course, being symbolic of a fatal attack. So the, what? The parts of the body in Genesis, symbolic, significant. What question do we ask? We ask, well, why is it that God creates women out of man's side? <laughs> really, though, why wound him? Why not create women from his hair, okay? It'd be easier in a sense, would it? Or from his toenail? Why his side? Why his side? Well, I think it is summed up best by that quote that I'm pretty sure we may have all heard before, but it's so, so beautiful. We want to hear it again. That Puritan author writes like this, why Adam's side? Why? 
And he says, woman was created not from man's head to rule over him, not from his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. That's it, isn't it? That though men and women clearly in the Bible have different roles, and we need to embrace that as Christians and in the life of the church, clearly that is true. Why was Eve made from Adam's side to speak to us of the dignity, of the value, of the equality of women made in the image of God? But then what do we try to do? Come on, what are we trying to do here? trying to establish how people like you and me, wicked people, how can we have this privilege? How can we be part of a one body with the very Son of God? Well, were you in church last Sunday morning? Were you? Some of you were, most of you were. I know we've got visitors and you're more than, it's delightful to have you here, but were you here when we looked at Pilate's sign? Do you remember Pilate's sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews in John's gospel? We've already established you know John's gospel well. So here's my question to you. What happens next? John's gospel. Fraser, will you bring up the first slide? So there's Pilate's sign. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, the last Adam. And then you have here, first Jesus' death. And Fraser, next slide. And then second of all, you have our Lord pierced by a Roman spear. I wonder if you see it. I wonder if you see it. And you have there at Calvary in John's gospel, the bride of the last Adam being formed. And how is she formed? It is exactly as it was in Genesis, with the last Adam's side being opened, that the substance to form his bride be brought forth. Here at Calvary, our Lord's side opened, that blood for her forgiveness, water for her purification be brought out at Calvary. Don't you see? There are these two stages. There is this unusual sleep, this divinely ordered sleep, our Lord, the sleep of death. And then it is followed by the wounding of his side. One commentator says this, even before the fall, God was foreshadowing the pattern of our redemption in the very wounding of Adam. In Genesis chapter 2, right at the start, he says, we find a type of the redemptive provision God would make for our salvation. A a type of the redemptive provision for your salvation. Do you see it here at Calvary, the side of God's ark of salvation, the side of the tabernacle, the place where God meets man. But here at Calvary, the side of the last Adam is opened for the formation 
of his bride, the church. And so I close first by speaking to the Christians in the room. (laughs) Surely it is when you look at Genesis chapter 2, you go home today further confirmed by the fact that God must love you. He must love you. You consider Genesis chapter 2, and what do you see? That God has loved you in Christ since the very beginning. God has planned your salvation since the very beginning. He has loved you in Christ with this unfathomable love and loved you since before the foundation of the world. He loves you dearly, deeply. But if you're not a Christian, if Adam longed, do you not long to be reconciled to God? If you're not a Christian, do you not long, yearn, pant to be forgiven for your sin? And if you're not a Christian, do you not long to be there when it happens? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Do you not long to be there when the church of Jesus Christ is at last in her perfection, sinless, spotless, presented to the bridegroom? Do you not long to be there? Come to Jesus Christ. Today he he summons you, he beckons you to himself. Come, repent of your sin. Come to Jesus Christ and know right now that inexpressible love, unfathomable love that Jesus Christ has for his people that the last Adam has and has for his bride. Friends, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for the, we thank you for the intimate bond that we enjoy with the Lord Jesus Christ today. We thank you that we are the bride of Christ. We thank you for the way in which you have provided the way of our formation that at Calvary, uh, our Lord's side, the last Adam's side is opened that the substance for our formation is brought forth that you have borne our sin. You have dealt with our rebellion and you are risen uh, victorious and triumphant. Lord, we thank you that we are ever moving forward to that day when we will be presented, presented to Christ and presented with great joy in our hearts. Uh, Lord God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.